as the pool shrinks, the opportunity to outperform logically should shrink. And if it's shrinking because the tiniest companies are the ones that are disappearing, you don't have that opportunity. So that's the theory. Whether it matches reality is another story. That's Larry Swedrow, author of Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, he offers several reasons you may not be getting the returns you've enjoyed in the past, and he challenges Jason Zweig's assertion in the Wall Street Journal that it's because there are fewer stocks to choose from. Big Al's got four ways to reduce RMD taxes, what exactly are QCDs and QLACs anyway? Plus, can you retire at 60 when you're 43 and have no savings? And how do chauffeurs and ambulances play into that equation? Here are Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA with some answers. Got a great show lined up, Alan. Yeah, we do. I, Super I, great show. I can't wait. All, all kinds of material. You do, huh? <laughs> I, was, well, I was expecting you to say something. Well, we had Pete the Planner on. We did. That was fun. And I, I, I keep listening to the. Now I'm kind of addicted to the podcast. Yeah. Oh, his podcast. Yeah. Or, or yours, uh, ours. Yeah. I just keep listening <laughs> to ours over and over again. <laughs> I got over it. and over again. Right. You know, and um, you know, because what what we talked about is like you got to set some certain standards. You know, you have to, you know, put some laws within your overall financial life. Right. And I think that's very important for people to do. Is that all right? Well, there's other. There's always going to be thousands of other things that you can spend your money on. But when you look at, we only have a finite period of time here on this earth, and there's only a finite period of time where you're going to be making those dollars, and you don't want to work forever. Right. And so you have to put some decision points in on: Are you going to save it, or are you going to spend it? Yeah. But you know what, Joe? Because I have an article here uh, in uh, CNBC that talks kind of about that. The number one cause of money stress is when expenses exceed income. And a recent study: forty-eight percent of of people out of five thousand people that they talk to. Their expenses are equal to or greater than their income, causing a lot of a lot of stress. What was the percentage? Forty-eight percent. Half of people. Half of the people are uh, their 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 income is, is less than their expenses. Yeah, they're either barely covering their expenses or they're spending more than their income. So clearly, in either case, they're not saving. But here here's part of the reason, Joe, and and this we don't really talk about this much. But so this is uh, the Pew Charitable Trust did a study between two thousand. 2014 and 2015, about a third of U.S. households had volatile income over that year, a third. So, which means a gain uh, or loss of at least 25% from one year to the next. And we know there's a lot of jobs where income is variable, and it makes it much harder to plan in that case, much, much more difficult to plan. Now, if you're on the the 25% that's going going up, right. then that's easy. Although you can get lulled into security there thinking, I've got this income that I can count on it, and I start spending more, and then the following year, I'm just back to where I was two years ago, but now my spending is too high. Right. So that happens, and of course, if you're on the other side, if it's gone down, you could set up all the right plans, but your income is way down. What do you... That it's it's tricky. Yeah, it make it makes it tricky, and that that certainly causes some of this. And and it's it's tough to deal with that kind of thing because you 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 try to set up your plan the best way that you can. But the, the yeah, I think the the real problem is overspending then, right? Because you get comfortable with that certain wage. Well, you and do. Then the next year, you're down twenty five percent of that wage, and you're still spending twenty five percent more of what the wage is bringing in because your wages are down. Yeah, and the, in this article, the this planner, the the advice was use a money management. App. I'm not sure that's going to solve it. <laughs> oh, the advice out there is solid. I, uh, let me tell you what I think you ought to do uh, is this. I think it's that for, that concept to pay yourself first, sure. always. Right. So your 401k, your 403b, or your IRA direct withdrawals from your account to your IRA. Make sure that happens automatically, so you don't even have to think about it. And then you got a certain amount of money in your um, in your account. Now, if you're in, if you're like, let's say you're in sales and your income is variable from year to year. You really ought to try to live on the kind of the minimum budget, if you if you will. And then when you have years that are higher, you save more. You know, maybe then you can do that little bit more expensive vacation, but don't get used to it. Right. I mean, I, I've heard the terminology is always live like you're broke. Right. 
you know. Right. But God, that sucks. It's too, hard, right? Know? Especially when your friends they just got a new car. And <laughs> I don't want to look you, like you a got broke. A, you got a Ford from the nineteen seventies. Oh. That you have to push. It's got the little holes in it. Flintstone car. You know, it's like you, it's it's hard. It's a, you don't see an end in sight. It is hard. Yeah. So that's. Uh, I mean, so that's part of the problem. I mean, a big part of the problem is people just spend too much. Sure, I mean, we, we, we know that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the bigger problem, and I think of where I was alluding to, um, is you have a couple that both of them are making a very healthy income. Yes. And there's very little savings. We see that all the time. And they're in their fifties and sixties. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's and then the same thing always comes up. Well, we don't spend that much. No, we're Joe out. We're no. not lavish. Yeah, we're not. How many lavish. times have we heard that? No, we're no, not lavish. Not at all. It's like we say you're not. You can say anything you want. Just don't say we're not lavish. We've overheard that. Yes, you have three hundred thousand dollars of total income. <laughs> You've been making this how long? I don't know. Past ten years. Well, okay. Well, well, Joe. Well, what, what can we cut? I mean, our maid is this much, and our gardener is this much, right. and our chauffeur is... Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's coming to reality and in, in, in having the tough messages to really identify, because, you know, we're... And I don't want to go doom and gloom, but we are facing a retirement crisis. There's a lack of savings. There's a lack of information. There's a lack of knowledge of actually how much money people should have. And if that information really, truly came out, I mean, people would freak. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like, you'll need a few million dollars. Well... I'll give up. There's not. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So I might as well just live for today. Yeah, but then it's like God. You can't do that. <laughs> like, I was. Have you ever watched uh, Thirty for Thirty on ESPN? Thirty for Thirty. Yes, I yeah. have. So I just watched the Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield one. Mm-hmm. Have you okay. seen that? Not that one. No. Oh, it's awesome. It's very good. I mean, I, I love them all. Actually. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of going back to um, when they fought, and then Evander had this heart issue. Right. Okay. And so he's going to the doctor, you know. And then it was like, oh, um, eventually it was like misdiagnosed. But then he's got an interview with Brian Gumble, right? And yeah. He's like, well, you know, if you take a look at your body from this age to where you are now, you've gained this much weight and this much muscle, and then you have heart issues, and you know, do you think that's a use of steroids? Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't. Um, but it, it, it's like it, it brought me back to damn Pete the Planner. It's like, all right, well, here you, you you live for today, right? You get all juiced up so you could be the heavyweight champion of the world. And I'm not saying Evander Holyfield was on steroids. I'm just saying that some athletes have done that. Yes, right. To live for that moment, to live for that day, you know, in your 20s, and then all of a sudden you have awful terrible health in your 40s and 50s yeah there's consequences there's significant <laughs> consequences and it's it, i don't know i'll get off the soapbox and we'll, we'll get into more substance some, yeah some real <laughs> news you can use <laughs> i just want to motivate people to to take a look because it's halfway through the year right now it's july okay you, you know second quarter is over now it's time to say all right well what did i do for the first quarter did I take a look at my financial goals? Did I save the amount of money that I wanted to save for the quarter? Did I do I have a, um, a not necessarily a budget in place, but do I have my spending under control? Do I have a target, you know, uh, retirement date in place? Are my assets where they should be, given what my age and goals and time frames and everything else are? I mean, now is a really good time to reflect on that to say, all right, well, here maybe the first six months of the year I didn't do as well as I wanted to. My New Year's resolutions are out the bag. Yeah, we'll start over right now and figure out exactly. Planned now. Start. So, so are you now. saying that we this weekend I had to have a little Clopine summit? Yeah, don't Fi- you? Don't you go to Chili's financial <laughs> summit you, with Ann? Yeah, talk you, about how we did. Yeah, you sit down with Chili's, <laughs> grab to, a little margarita. I'm gonna have to spend a couple of days putting together the charts and reports. Maybe Monday. Monday uh, we'll have we'll have the summit. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Clopine, get your summit together. You know, you're going on too many vacations. Now, who's your summit with? Myself. Yourself? Yeah. Like, you know, mint.com. <laughs> and you look at yeah, it? Yeah, then I'm like, oh, my God. I can't believe this. i gotta, I got to rein this stuff in. Right. So, but just a little reflection. Are you on track? Do you think you're on track? You're not on track? All right. Well, now, regroup. Okay? I know it's the summer. That's the last thing you want to do. But I encourage everyone uh, to do that. 
Once you know you're on track for retirement, the next step is to make sure you leave a lasting legacy for the ones you love. Visit purefinancial.com estate to learn 10 gruesome estate planning mistakes to avoid. In this webinar, Nicole Newman, attorney at law, and Joe Anderson, CFP, answer questions like, should you have a will or a trust? How do you protect your assets from probate, in-laws, creditors, predators, and the expenses of long-term care? How do changes in estate tax law impact your existing estate plan? Visit purefinancial.com estate to watch the webinar on demand and learn 10 gruesome estate planning mistakes to avoid. That's purefinancial.com estate. Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, Big Al Quilpine, CPA. Alan, it's that time. We got our good friend Larry Swedro with us. I know, and I can't wait to hear his observations this time. Hey, Larry, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure always to be with you. Let's. I, I want to talk about this blog that you read, wrote um, about that there's fewer stocks to pick, so the stock picking game is getting a little bit more challenging. And when I first read that title, I was like, hmm, I got some questions for Larry. So let's talk about it, and then, and then I'm going to show how stupid I am. And then... <laughs> That's take about thirty seconds. Yeah, it, it doesn't take long with Larry. It just <laughs> my intelligence level goes down to about a zero. So, but yeah, very interesting. Jason Zweig wrote something, and you kind of commented on his um, article. Yeah, so Zweig writes uh, that uh, he's observing something, a phenomenon that hasn't been much discussed, but uh, those in our industry are well aware of. The number of publicly traded securities on listed exchanges has literally collapsed, uh, with the biggest impact probably being first uh, from the bursting of the Internet bubble. So lots of those, you know, uh, Internet.com type of companies disappeared, uh, had raised capital in a, in a bubble and couldn't survive. But the second big impact came in the 08 financial crisis as a result of the Dodd-Frank uh, bill, which dramatically increased the amount of regulatory red tape, which discourages small companies from going public. Uh, and that's created this problem. Uh, back uh, 20 years ago, there were over 7,000 stocks uh, and Zweig pointed out today there are something like 3,600. Uh, it's interesting because we still have something called uh, the Wilshire 5,000, but we don't have 5,000 stocks anymore, <laughs> uh, which is kind of interesting. So Zweig makes the observation, uh, supported by quoting some pretty well-known investment managers, that if you have a fewer group of stocks, then that smaller pool doesn't allow you to differentiate as much from the market. Uh, and these larger companies are much more closely followed than, say, the smallest companies, which are no longer listed. Uh, so hopefully the theory is in these smaller companies, the active managers can outperform, but that opportunity is gone. And the combination of those two things led him to conclude that active management is getting harder and harder. Uh, so that's basically the premise of the article. And then he had one other point, which if small companies are disappearing, and historically the biggest uh, returns have been to the tiniest companies, then that small cap premium should shrink. So those are the two key observations. So when I first kind of glanced over this, I'm thinking, all right, there was over 7,000 stocks. Now it's 3,600. So it's like, okay, well, if there's less stocks, I mean, there's still capital flowing into the overall markets, correct? Absolutely. The amount, the, uh, and obviously the, the value of the equity markets is much larger. Uh, so that's not an issue, but you can only outperform uh, if you own a different pool of stocks than the market does and weight them differently. So let's imagine a world where there are only 10 stocks that would be much harder to outperform than if you had, say, 10,000, because you could own the few that really outperform and overweight them, uh, but you can't do it if there are only 10 stocks. So that's the idea. As the pool uh, shrinks, the opportunity to outperform 
logically should shrink. And if it's shrinking because the tiniest companies uh, are the ones that are disappearing, in theory, you know, if you believe that markets are not efficient, there's less information available. Everyone knows everything there is to know about Google or GE, but not many people know about the smallest, say, 100 companies. But if they're disappearing, you don't have that opportunity. So that's the theory. Whether it matches reality is another story. Yeah, because here's what my thought process is, and this is where I'm probably going to look like an idiot, is that, all right, well, if I got 3,600 stocks versus 7,000 to choose from, and there's a lot of capital still flowing into the overall stock market, there is more and more people getting out of active management, more or less going into index-type funds. And so they're buying all sorts of all of the companies in the overall markets and there's fewer stocks and the money is still going in so if i'm looking at supply and demand isn't that making certain companies higher prices that maybe shouldn't be a higher price just because of the valuation because of supply and demand there's um, fewer stocks but still a lot more capital going in not necessarily because those companies that are in public are still raising capital it's just that they're getting that capital in the private equity markets uh, from venture capital firms, as one example, leverage buyouts, etc. Um, and it just means that the private equity firms are the ones investing in them uh, instead of the public markets. It, uh, the fact that the U.S. number of stocks is shrinking does not mean that the amount of money invested inequities is shrinking. Right. Well, I'm thinking that the amount of money that is going into equities is actually increasing, isn't it? Yeah, there's no question that that's happened uh, because the valuations are. Obviously, we now have a stock market worth in excess, I think, of $6 trillion. Obviously, 20 years ago, it was a lot less. And then so when we look at valuations, it's like, all right, well, I guess it depends on the valuation that you look at. Help our listeners understand, because we hear markets are at all-time highs, all-time highs, and then you look at P.E. ratios that are very high. But there's other variables that I think people are missing out when when they just hear snippets like this. Yeah, well, first of all, valuations in the U.S. are higher than they've been historically, uh, by some measures by quite a bit. And one thing we know, if you pay a higher price for the same dollar of earnings or cash flow, by definition, you must get a lower return. And there is a direct relationship historically um, between valuations and future returns, with the correlation being negative, meaning the higher the valuation, the lower the future returns. But that doesn't mean higher valuations uh, are a signal that stocks are overvalued. There are many good reasons why um, uh, stocks are now higher priced very logically than, say, they were 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I'll give you, or even longer back in time. Uh, here's a few of them. Uh, if you look at the data going back, we now have to the 1880s, the historical average P.E. ratio measured by what's called the Schiller Cape 10. So you take an average of 10 years of earnings. So it's called the cyclically adjusted price-earnings ratio. That's where the Cape comes from, cyclically adjusted price-earnings ratio. And the 10 is because it's taking a 10-year average, is, get, is roughly 17. We'll round that number. Uh, but I think, uh, Joe, you and I can agree that for a variety of reasons, investing in the U in U.S. stocks is a hell of a lot less risky than it was, say, 130 years ago. Uh, we didn't have a Federal Reserve then. You didn't have an SEC. The volatility of the economy was dramatically higher. So if you have less volatility of the real growth in the economy, that makes equity investing far less risky. 130 years ago, we'd have a severe recession or depression every few years, it seems. Uh, and we haven't had uh, more than, say, two really bad ones in the last 50. Uh, I think we can also agree uh, that accounting standards are much stronger than they are today. So investors have better information, more protection against them. 
all those things argue for higher valuations because you're taking less risk. But we're not yet done yet here. Uh, another uh, factor why people should be willing to pay a higher price for the same dollar of earnings is that companies are paying far fewer dividends than they ever did, retaining the cash, which can be used either to grow the company faster, because you have more capital to deploy, or you could buy back your stocks, shrinking the pool of, uh, of uh, shares, and that drives up the price. If you simply make an adjustment for that, you should be willing to pay, I've estimated, about one PE higher. Uh, and the two other things we have to cover. One is that there was a major accounting change. Uh, I think it was in 2001. Uh, it's called FASB 141 and 143, I think, of the numbers. Uh, or maybe it's 142 and 144. But the, the rule was 20, 30 years ago, I'm a technology company. I acquire this startup. I pay $100 million for it. I'm, and it has no hard assets, so I put it on my books. I get $100 million of value, and I write that down. That's goodwill over the next, say, 30 years. Uh, the, however, in 2001, after the, you know, the tech bubble blew up, the accounting standards boards requ began requiring companies to do an, at least an annual test of that valuation. And if the value was no longer there, you had to write it down immediately instead of over 30 years. So while you have exactly the same cash flows going on, to, uh, if a company wrote something off uh, over 30 years or whether they write it off over, you know, immediately, the earnings are much lower today. And uh, I, someone calculated that was worth four in the price-earnings ratio. Uh, in other words, earnings on a comparable basis are so much lower, but the cash flows are the same, and that's really what you're buying. One's just an accounting number. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention is it's much cheaper for investors to invest today. Uh, ETFs, mutual fund costs are a lot lower. Tra transactions costs in the forms of commission and bid offer spreads are much lower. And that means you get to keep more of the gross returns that stocks provide, which means you should be willing to pay a higher price to get that high, you know, higher share of the returns. When you add all those things up, I come to the conclusion that, yes, stocks are more highly valued, but by no means should anyone be saying that we are dramatically overvalued. And people have been saying this, uh, Jeremy Grantham, John Husband, and many others, for the last four years, and the markets, at least so far, proved them dead wrong. doesn't mean markets can't crash, but I don't believe a crash will occur because the stocks are overvalued or would be because some risk shows up. Nobody knows what's ahead for investors, but Larry Swedro's book, Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett, offers bedrock investing principles that can help you profit in today's shaky markets. Right now, it's available for free to Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Just click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get yours. Learn how to think like Warren Buffett and build a well-designed portfolio based on solid evidence and your highest interests. Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett by Larry Swedrow, with a foreword by Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. Click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get your free copy. We're talking to Larry Swedrow. Larry, you know, a lot of what you said makes sense, except for one thing where it could potentially blow up with, I don't know what the numbers are, I'm sure you do, um, with company buybacks. Uh, so a lot of companies are buybacking their stock. Right. And there, so there's pros and cons to that, isn't there? You know, I guess on the doom and gloom side, they're saying, all right, well, they have a lot of cash. The, the, the cost of capital is cheap with interest rates as low as they are. So they might lend or borrow money to buy their own stock to boost the price, you know, so then the, the top executive teams, you know, get their bonuses. What I mean, is there is there a con to buying the stock back or what? Well, uh, the way to think about it is uh, companies who have, quote, excess cash, meaning cash 
that they don't want to employ investing in the business because they can't find uh, investments that would achieve their required rate of return, their cost of capital. So now they have two choices. They could pay uh, a dividend out to shareholders, or they could buy back their stock. If they believe their stock is cheap, uh, they might do that. And if you're an investor like you or I, and we hold our equities mostly in our taxable account, I greatly prefer them to buy their shares back because I don't have to pay any tax on any dividend, which the government forces me to pay. the stock price goes up, but I don't have to sell. And even if I want to sell because I need the cash, like a dividend would provide, uh, a dividend, you're taxed on the entire amount. If I sell, let's say you got a 2% dividend, if I sell 2% of my shares to get the same dollars, I only pay a tax not on the full 2%, but the portion that's a gain and likely at those lower long-term capital gains rates. So it's much more efficient, which is why so many companies today have figured out it's much better to buy their stock back than to pay a dividend. Anybody, any investor can create a self-dividend. You don't need the company to give you the cash. You just sell the number of shares equal to the dividend you want, and you end up with exactly the same total dollars invested in the company either way. But you know what the problem with that is, is that people think a dividend is a coupon payment. Yeah, well, it's not uh, (laughs) because the price of the stock drops uh, by the amount of the dividend. And we know from all of the research, in fact, Vanguard just wrote a paper which basically agreed with everything I've written over the last you know, five years when I've been pounding the table trying to educate people that, you know, dividend strategies, not that they're necessarily bad, except from a tax standpoint, but they don't add any value. You don't get better returns by buying high dividend stocks or dividend growth companies, meaning the companies are raising their dividends. Uh, what really matters is how much exposure these companies have to the factors that we know determine returns, such as value, size, momentum, etc. It's not the dividend. That was decided 50 years ago in a paper and never been questioned since by two professors, Medigliani and Miller, who said dividend policy is, should be irrelevant to the stock price because investors, as I just explained to you, can create their own self-dividend. And the price drops by the amount of the dividend. I know it's exactly what Vanguard wrote in their paper. So, so what what Larry's talking about is that if the stock price is at ten dollars a share and they give a dollar dividend, the next day the stock price goes to nine dollars a share. Well, the the reason that people have some confusion is the stock price is not likely to drop exactly by a dollar because there's noise. It could be that there was also some news on the stock. So maybe it only dropped to $9.10, or the market went way up, and it would have gone up anyway in measuring that. Uh, so it's very hard to look at that. So the way to test uh, the idea is to see if two stocks that have the same, for example, price-earnings ratio, one pays a dividend and the other doesn't, do they have the same returns in the long term? And the answer is no matter how you measure it, the answer is yes. But the common sense, simple logic, which defies uh, you know, the reality that investors, many at least, don't seem to understand that. If a company say, is trading at $100 or let's say $10 a share and has a dollar of cash, and now it pays out that dollar, clearly the company is worth $1 less because it has $1 less assets. Any person in their right mind should understand that, and yet I've debated this with people who want to argue that somehow there's what I call the magic pants. You could take a dollar out of one pocket and you know, and, it, and spend it, but your stock price hasn't gone. That's, 
that somehow that's a magic pants that doesn't well, drop the value. They think they're getting their cake and eating it too, and, and that's yeah. it's very hard for them to understand. You're right. Are you still writing for Seeking Alpha? I, I would see those lines and oh, of, of you just blowing people up left and right on this whole dividend strategy. It would yeah, make my morning. I don't morning. write for them, uh, but <laughs> I do write for, at ETF.com, so I've continued. In fact, I just wrote up a piece uh, going through Vanguard's own findings, uh, which make the same case that I've made. And the problem with dividend-focused strategies uh, is, or at least one of them, is taxes, as we touched on. They're more inefficient. Uh, number two is, since 60% of all companies in the U.S. don't pay dividends, you've already eliminated 60% uh, of the universe, which means you're clearly not as diversified uh, and that means you're a less efficient portfolio. You're taking all of that extra risk by excluding the 40% of the stocks that don't pay a dividend. Great stuff, Larry. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that you're a little under the weather, and um, hopefully we can get you back on real soon. Thanks. Take care. All right, buddy. That's Larry Swedro, folks. we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. If all this talk of stock picking, valuations, company buybacks, dividends, and strategy have your head spinning and you're wondering what you should be doing with your portfolio, you're in the same boat as I am. Anyway, visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com and sign up for a free financial assessment with a certified financial planner. Find out if you're on track for retirement. How much money will you need? What social security strategies are available to you? How much income can you get from your portfolio? Make sure your retirement strategy is aligned with your retirement goals. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. In handy bullet point format. This week, four ways to reduce RMD taxes. So when you're age 70 and a half, you're required to pull money out of your IRAs and your 401ks. And it's, it's mandated by a, a, a table, and, and most of you would use the standard table. There's a couple different tables if you've got a younger spouse, for example. But uh, most of you are going to be withdrawing almost 4% of your portfolio in year one, and then it goes up from there after. And a lot of folks, Joe, uh, don't really like this rule because they get to 70 and a half, they've got other income sources, and they're required to pull money out of their IRA, and it blows them up into higher tax brackets. What do you think, um, going off topic here first, well, not off topic, but off your list, the odds of the IRS changing the table for RMDs? Oh, because we're living longer? I'd say not very likely, because <laughs> they want their tax money. I would say that they would increase it versus decrease it. For well, some... they should decrease it, is what they should do, right. because we're living longer. But, but yeah, no, I don't think they will. You think they might even increase yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking yeah. that they would want to accelerate that money to come out even faster. Yeah, they might, but then they get a problem of people running through their money before their life expectancy. Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, you got you got a barbell problem. By, yeah, Alan, I know. By, by because the... you got people on one side that have millions, and then you got people on the other side that has dollars. Right, right. And it doesn't matter what it the doesn't rule matter is. what the yes. RMD is. They're already Agreed. spending way above the RMD. Agreed. You know, Agreed. and then so the others that they're not spending the RMD. Yes. Is so I guess means testing RMDs coming <laughs> coming soon. Yeah, you heard it here from Joe Anderson. Yeah. So I guess if you have just a little bit in your IRA, you probably don't really care. But a lot of our listeners have saved a lot of money in their 401ks, in their IRAs, in their 403bs. And so here's four ways that Ed Slot has come up with to reduce uh, those required minimum distributions. And you'll know all four of these. We can sort of have further discussions, Joe. But the first one is qualified charitable distributions, QCDs. Because uh, when you are 70 and a half and you're subject to a required minimum distribution, the IRS says that you can give all the way from any amount of that RMD all the way to the total required minimum distribution. You can give it directly to charity. All the way up to 100000 All the way up to 100000 So if your RMD is higher than 100000 you're then limited to the 100000 Also, if you're required... It's a big R IRA. Yeah, it's, it'd be a big balance, sure. Uh, also, if, you're, um, if your required minimum distribution is 30000 then it's 30000 You're limited to your required minimum distribution. But you're right, up to 100000 now, um, if you give it directly to charity, 
So it's like, well, let's let's look at these two alternatives. If you if you distribute the required minimum distribution, it, it adds to your income. Then you give it to charity, and then you get a tax deduction for charity. So your taxable income theoretically should be the same. So what's the difference? Right. Which is, I think, why this partially has not caught on because people do that quick, simple math, and they go, well. I give thirty thousand. I write thirty thousand off. It should be a wash. Yeah, it should be the, should be a wash. But there's a lot of cases where it's not a wash, Joe. And I'll give you the most obvious one is if you don't itemize your deductions because a charitable deduction is a is a it's an itemized deduction. So right now you gotta you gotta have um, let me think about thirteen a little over thirteen thousand dollars as a married couple to itemize your deductions. And if you don't have that much, if you give some more to charity. Well, you don't even get to deduct it until you get to those levels. And your itemized deductions would be, let's say, medical expenses over um, a 10 or 7.5% threshold of your AGI. It'd be interest payments. It'd be taxes, um, property tax, state taxes. It would be your charitable deduction. Yes. Then there would be miscellaneous. Miscellaneous investment expenses, or if you're employed, unreimbursed employer expenses, those kinds of things. So if you don't have enough of those to itemize, you get what's called the standard deduction. And so there Therefore, if you do an extra charity, you're not going to get any benefits. So that's an obvious situation. Another one less obvious is when you give to charity, or uh, when you give out of your, your, your um, or, or yeah, you, at, at, like let's say you get the money out of your IRA and then you give it directly to charity, you're limited to giving 50% of your income. Well, what happens if your income, at least on your tax return, is low because you've done a good job converting Roth conversions? You know, you've got money outside of retirement accounts. Maybe it's municipal interest and, and others of it. Um, yeah, the income that is taxed at ordinary income rates is low, but is your it? income could be high if right. you have other sources of income that are tax favored. Yeah, so let's say your adjusted gross income is only 20000 even though you're living on a hundred, 120000 just because it's coming from Different non-taxable sources, right? Right, and you want to give twenty thousand away to charity. Well, you're limited to ten percent of your adjusted gross income. So in that example, you could only deduct ten thousand dollars. The remaining ten thousand would carry forward for five years. So there are cases where you can't take all that deduction anyway. If you give it directly to charity from your required minimum distribution, then it doesn't show up on your tax return. Doesn't even show up as income. So now your income is zero, right? right? In that particular example. So that's one way. Now less l- less known, Joe, is is when you take your required minimum distribution, it adds to your adjusted gross income. And a lot of things are tied to that. For example, when your adjusted gross income is above $250,000 as a married couple, $200,000 as single, then you have to pay an extra Medicare surtax. That's 3.8% on your passive income. Interest, dividends, capital gains, rental income, and that sort of thing. And when you're married and your income is over $300,000, married two fifty, then your itemized deductions and exemptions start getting phased out. So you would get less deductions that way. Now, if your income's over $100,000 and you have rental properties, then the higher the adjusted gross income, the less you can deduct on those losses. And the, the one of the biggest ones is Social, social security. security. The higher your adjusted gross income, the more of your Social Security is actually taxable. If you can keep that adjusted gross income lower, you pay, uh, you pay less taxes on your Social Security income. There's actually lots of other things too, but those are those are some of the main ones. And I think people don't realize the the benefit because they're just assuming what's the difference. It's a wash. Whether right. whether I and I don't think a lot of individuals know that they can give directly from their IRA. Don't take the RMD and give that RMD directly to charity. Right. I, I don't think that's very well known. Right. And I would say for a lot of individuals, it could save them. A, a ton. Yeah, and and, I, and it's, it's partly it's not well known because it's a new law, and and when it and did then, right, it would wait until like December twenty eighth. Yes, to, when it did come around, this was probably I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was 2012 or 13 where this came into being. It was uh, it was a, what was part of the tax extenders. Each year it would expire, and then the Congress and Senate would decide if they wanted to extend it. And interestingly enough, you would think that they would decide that on January first, right? So you could have a whole year, a year to do to, it. Yeah. No, they would decide on December 28th. You can do it. One year, they decided (laughs) After. after the year was over. So, because they were so delinquent, they said, "All right, if you do a contribute, if you do this in January of the following year, we'll pretend it happened in last year." It's like, 
wow, you guys are really efficient on this. Anyway, uh, now it's permanent, Joe. It's it's absolutely permanent, and it's available, and a lot of people could benefit from it. Well, it's permanent until they change it. Well, yeah. I guess permanent is a relative term when it comes to the IRS. Uh, another way to reduce your required minimum distribution, we don't talk about this too much, but that's a qualifying longevity annuity contract. Sure, QLAC. QLAC, Q-L-A-C for short. And this is where you can invest up to $125,000 of your IRA, and it, it, it has to be 25% of the total IRA balance or less. And what this does is basically it's, it's an annuity where you don't get any current income, you know, you, 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 you get income at a later date. It can be as late as age 85, although it could be sooner. And the whole idea is that it's longevity insurance. Chances are, you know, maybe you'll need it, maybe not. But the idea is, let's say you live to 100 or 110, this will, this will create a lot more income than otherwise just going through your normal income through a re- required minimum distribution. The QLAC is excluded from the required minimum distribution calculation, so it's a way to keep that lower. So you take 125000 bucks, you buy this QLAC, Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract, yep. and then it pays out, let's say, at age 80, and then it will continue to pay out at a certain for, dollar for, figure forever. For your life. Yeah, right. for your life. And because because a lot of people won't live to when it starts, exactly. the payout's actually pretty good if you're one of the ones that makes it. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of gambling in a sense, but, but the well, idea it's insurance. is it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's longevity insurance is what it is. Right. You're basically insuring that if I have long life, that there's going to be a guaranteed income source. Yeah, which which will be greater than what I could have otherwise done with that hundred twenty five thousand. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just with insurance. Well, you, yeah. If you it's, need it, it's it's great. If yeah. You if you live it. to one hundred twenty, you're glad you did it. If you live to eighty five, you're upset you did it. Right. You know? So, but you're gone, and you may not worry about. Who cares? About it. Right. Who cares? <laughs> Two more ways to reduce RMD taxes are coming up. But speaking of taxes, we're told that the biggest tax cut ever is on its way. But the president and the GOP remain divided on a number of key policy questions. How might income tax, estate tax, and business tax change? Visit the White Paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download the White Paper, Tax Reform, Trump versus House GOP, to find out. Are your tax strategies at risk? Get year-end tax planning tips that can help you stay on track in the midst of uncertainty. Download the Tax Reform White Paper to find out more. Visit the White Paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. We're talking about uh, different ways to reduce your required minimum distribution, which a lot of our clients and listeners have. Um, they, they reach age 70 and a half. They got significant dollars in their IRA, their 401ks, and then they have to start pulling money out whether they want to or not. So um, I want to talk about, and this is written by Ed Slott, by the way, in Investment News. His third one is uh, rollovers to company plans. And, and of course, this doesn't, um, quote, this does, not everyone could take advantage of this, but if you're still working, and you're age 70 and a half and you're still working and your company has a 401k, you've got IRA balances. So even, you know, you're 70 and a half, you got to take your required minimum distribution. But there's a special rule that if you're still working, your active 401k plan, you don't have to take required minimum distributions out of that plan. Yeah, it's the working exemption. Yeah, as long as you don't own more than 5, 5% or more of the company. So it, you can't just start a company yourself, a little consulting business and do this. You have to be a, an employee. Here's what I heard um, from Ed Slot. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is very gray. <laughs> that rule? This, no. Is, you know, when they, they look at the 5% ownership rule of an overall organization. Yeah. All right. And how the law is written, it's based on your um, required beginning date age. Okay. Right. And so. They look at your required beginning date, and are you a 5% owner of that company on your required beginning date? Right. If so, then you are not eligible for the exemption of being employed so the, into a 401k. They look at that every year? Is that no. Just the first year? Just the first year. The first year. So let's say you're 73 years old. Okay. Then you start your company. Oh. Then you roll the money into a solo 401k plan. Oh, that does plan. sound great. <laughs> right? And he's saying that it's very gray, and I would never do this, 
uh, because if it ever gets audited, he goes, the likelihood of that sticking. But that's how the law is written. So what, so what is your required beginning date? The required beginning date is April 1st, the following year you turn 70 and a half. All right. So I turned 70 and a half this year. Now, I don't really have to take my first RMD until April 1st of the following year. Correct. But then I'd have to take two required Yeah, then you have to satisfy the year that you skipped. But you don't. there's no penalty because the yeah. whole reason for this is that if you do not take your required distribution, it's a 50% tax penalty. Right. So if I don't take the RMD, let's say it's a $20,000 requirement that I have to take out of my retirement account, well, then the penalty is ten grand. Right. And then I got to pull the ten grand out of the, you know, pay the penalty out of the account, pay the tax on that, plus the 20000 I mean, it'll blow you up. Yeah, right. So the required beginning date is April 1st, the following year. And I think why they probably did that, I'm guessing, is that, all right, well, let's say if you're continuing to work and you have other retirement accounts, you have higher income when you're 70 and a half and then you want to retire the next year. I don't know. Maybe you have lower income. I have no idea why the required beginning date would be the year after you turn 70 and a half. And if you wait until the year after 70 and a half, you have to take two. Or 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 maybe you forgot. I think I think that gives you a little leniency the first year. I think so many people forgot. They just said, "Okay, we'll give you this one. We'll give you a little little, little breathing room here. A little breathing room. Maybe that's just a guess. But anyway, going back to this strategy, you're 70 and a half. You're working in a company that has a 401k. So that 401k, you don't have to take a required minimum distribution out of that, but your IRAs or old 401ks, you got to take RMDs out of those. So if your plan allows it, you can roll those old plans and IRAs into your current 401k and avoid the RMD that way. And you could theoretically, Joe, work the rest of your life and never have to take an RMD. Right. If you died at the desk. Mm-hmm. That sounds appealing. <laughs> Just saying. You, you don't want a good way to re- reduce your RMD? Well, Get a job with a well, company that, that you're not 5% a, owner of. That has a 401k. That has a 401k. That, roll everything in there. That allows you to roll it. And then just work your ass off until you die at the desk. <laughs> You'll never have You'll to take never it. have to take an RMD. <laughs> But we're, that's, you'll be lonely. You'll that's be divorced. The topic. Four ways to reduce your uh, RMD taxes. You that that would work. And, and we're going to start up a new company. Yeah. Avoid RMD. <laughs> What's the business plan? Uh, we're still working on it. <laughs> Here's what you do. We're going to find a company that hires seventy year olds. Right. That have a four hundred one k plan. Maybe it could be you hire seventy year olds that uh, could be Walmart greeters. So it could Walmart would probably come higher. But then, all right. So here's a question for you. Mr. CPA of 35 years yes. that started with a sociology degree, park ranger slash yes, In- engineer, <laughs> engineer, <or> urban planner. <laughs> um, what constitute uh, working? So I'm I'm working at Walmart. Good question. One day. Good question. A year. Christmas Eve, I work. So I don't have the code in front of me, but I've got a pretty good educated guess All right. that it, you would have to be an active participant of that plan, which means a thousand hours. You th- okay, that's that's a that's an educated guess, but I'm but I'm I've got ninety five percent confidence there. But I can't. So you're saying I cannot be an active participant in a four hundred one k plan unless I have a thousand hours of employment. You can't you can't add to it, right? You, you, in other words, you're you're not allowed to. You, well, how about uh, if I'm a part time employee, half time, seasonal? Right. So, well, let me, so that wouldn't work. I wouldn't be able to. Well, I suppose it's per plan document. Yeah, let me go back a second. So the the thousand hours is really for the um, is for the employer contribution, not the employee contribution. Let me kind of think out loud here a second. So maybe maybe you could potentially as a part time. If in other words, you you would have to have worked a thousand hours to get enrolled in the four hundred one k in the first place. Right. So yeah, I I got that, but now so, seventy five. So, so, so I'm may- going to work so, so two maybe, days a year. Yeah, maybe you're, you know, you, when you're seventy, you go down to way less than even half time, which is a thousand hours a year, you're not going to get any employer matches, but you're still in the plan. Maybe that still works. I might amend what I just said. Maybe that would still work. So you'd have, but basically you have to be an active participant of that plan. Sure. And if that plan allows you, not all plans do, a lot of them do, that, that will allow you to, to roll in old plans and IRAs into it. Well, can I be an active participant in a 401k plan if I'm not contributing? Or is th- No, you'd have to contribute. So I have a 401k plan at Pure yes. Financial Advisors. Right. Let's say I'm not contributing to that plan. Yeah. Then I'm not an active participant? I don't think so. I think I am because uh, let's say the, that- the, the, the employer. Uh, <clears throat> the, 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 All right. 
you, so, you have, I don't know why we're going on this the, rat's nest, but it's well, fun. The, the reason I say that is because that that's typically when that box is checked checked on your W-2 that you're active participant if you've contributed. Okay, so let's say I have a plan. I'm employed by the firm. I work full time, mm-hmm. okay, plus a couple of extra hours, and then I don't contribute to the 401k plan. Yeah. I open up a IRA, contribute to that, take the deduction. You think I can do that? Yes, I do. Because I don't think I can. I do. I've I've looked that up before because because you if you're not an active participant in a plan in that year, however, realize an active participant can be done two ways. One is your own contribution, and two is an employer contribution. I had an employee where the the employer put in it was like minuscule. It's like five bucks. But they still were an active participant for that plan. It was like a carryover from the prior year, and so they therefore they couldn't take a deduction for an IRA. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Anyway, the last one is Roth conversions. We could spend a whole show on that. Sure, right? I'm sure we have. We've spent thousands of shows on that. How would a Roth conversion reduce an RMD, Joe? Well, there is no RMDs in Roth IRAs, so you would take the money from the four or IRA, and then you convert it. You pay the tax. Now it's in the IRA, Roth IRA. That Roth IRA will grow tax-free, so that reduces the RMD in the IRA because there's less money in the IRA there's because you converted money. Right. the money out. Yeah, so you, you took your hit already. And for, for folks that have they retire and they've got lower income for a few years until they hit 70 and a half and they have to take the required minimum distributions, they might be able to convert in lower tax brackets, right? That might make a lot of sense. Maybe they can, let's say they convert half of their IRA, right? So their RMD is going to be half of what it would have otherwise been because right. it's a lower balance. Exactly. All right. That's Big Al's list for this week. If you have any suggestions for Big Al's list, <laughs> if you're getting bored of my list, you can just uh, email us at info at purefinancial.com. I have a good one, but you didn't want me to do it. 14 ways retirees are making money. Maybe we'll do that next week. Oh, my God. I'll, give you, I'll give you a little sample. We did four. It took two segments. I, 14, I, I, it would, we, we'd carry over for four weeks. First one is dog walking. Oh, God. <laughs> It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com or you can send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or alan.clopine at purefinancial.com. I have zero savings right now. The market crash in a family crisis eliminated my 457 plan a few years back. Okay. I then opened my own business with what savings I had left, but the business is now closed with nothing to show for. Okay. I do have a new job, making $100,000 a year as a starting salary. How much will I need to save at this point moving forward to retire comfortably? Is it too late? I'm 43 years old. I'm married. She makes about thirty grand, and I have four kids. Most um, of what I have prepared... But the plan went to crap. <laughs> I do like not it. want to work past age 60. Oh, boy. What can I do to get back on track? So we got 17 years. Well, let me just tell you a stat I just saw uh, by, I think it was uh, it was either Fidelity or Vanguard, I can't remember, where they, they suggested that you save to live comfortably, you know, to live the lifestyle you want to live in retirement, uh, you save between 15 and 18% of your salary for 30 years. Okay? He's got 17. He's got 17. So, so it's going to be much higher than that. So 50. I'm, I'm going to say 50%. At, yeah, probably uh, at least. Uh, we'd have to do the math. But, of course, comfortable, what does that mean? I guess that means different things to different people. Some people think of when they think of retirement, it's like, all right, that's when I want to spend some money and go on trips and do the things that I didn't otherwise do. That sounds pricey. That's a expensive comfortable. Or another way is comfortable is, you know what, we're living a decent lifestyle. I just want to, I want to come close to that. Well, that's that would be cheaper. So... You know, there's, there's, doesn't want to work back at 60. That's, you're 40. Yeah. So, and you got nothing. Yeah. So, so, you got four kids. They probably need to go to school. Yeah. So, so it's, or, it's, it's, uh, so if you can't save 50% or 70% of your income, you're working to 70. You're working to 70 is right because you're starting at 43 with nothing. Or, or you just have you just kind of have a different lifestyle than what you thought. Or there's always another choice here, Joe, which is maybe you stop working at for at sixty, but you work 
part-time okay. until you hit 70. Right. And you, then you take your Social Security, you take your RMDs at that point. And here's the problem. I think if more people know what they should be saving, they would. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, of course, there's people that can't save. They're living paycheck to paycheck. And, right. You know, um, and th- they'll have to figure some other but, p- uh, plan I mean, out. But a lot of times we'll we'll talk to 50-year-olds that don't have a penny saved. And, well, what about me? And the answer's the same, right? You, you save as much as you can. You change your lifestyle now because if you don't, you're going to be forced to in retirement anyway, right? And you and by changing, by lowering your lifestyle, you save a lot more. You get into that mental discipline. Mm-hmm. As you get raises, then you just keep trying to save the majority of that. And then maybe you do have to work till 70. Maybe you can work till 65, but you're not. You're probably not retiring young like you wanted to at one point. <clears throat> um, met a couple, hypothetically. He's 63, she's 45. Okay. Okay. Um, they went to, um, hypothetically, a class I taught. <laughs> wow, this is becoming a very detailed hypothetical story. Yes. And so, and I sat, you know, they sat down and they were like, and I was like, well, what, what, what brings you in? What, you know, what, how can I help you? Right. And they're like, well, we were looking at retiring in a couple of years, right? And she's like, I thought I could probably retire with my husband. Yeah. And there's a big age gap there, right? Sure. Almost 20 years. 63 to 45. Yeah. yeah. So she's like, yeah, I was going to work maybe another five years okay. with that. And he was going to work maybe another five total. Right? Okay. And so then they were going to be done. And then he goes, then we went to your stupid class and found out there's no way we're, we're, we're behind. <clears throat> a little bit. Because, and they had no idea. Well, you know what? I'd rather find out before than after. <laughs> yeah, right. And I mean, it's not like they didn't have assets or that they didn't save. Right. Um, but it's like you're 45. You're going to retire 50. You're female. You're in good shape. You're probably going to. You got a 40 year retirement that this. Yeah, all right. And you've yeah. got 15, 17 years until Social Security kicks in for you, and you're not going to be working for those 17 years. Their Social Security benefits going to be a little bit low, right? So you're just kind of, you know, they were rolling this stuff in their head. They're like, right. yeah, you know, you brought a lot of really good points that we never really thought of. Yeah, you know, right. We have, you know, a million five equity in our home, so we thought we were on easy street, you right. know. Not so much, Got you know. It. It, all, it, it, all hypothetical. It, it was. It was a dream. <laughs> it was a dream I had. They were very nice people that I dreamt about that had a problem that I'm sure okay. other people might have <laughs> might. that but, live but in Southern what? California. But you can, you can understand the mentality. So I've married a younger guy. I want to enjoy our retirement. Are well, you're marrying a what? Well, I'm, I'm just I'm being her now. But she's 45. I'm, I said it wrong. I married an older guy. Okay. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Slight uh, slip there. <laughs> I married an older guy. <laughs> I want to enjoy retirement while we can still travel right. and do all these things we've dreamed about. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with that? N- nothing. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, I get it. I get the dream. I get what you're doing here. I, I understand. And, you know, they're... <clears throat> They're like, yeah, we like to travel. We like to, you know, drink good wine. Sure. You know? And yeah, we like to. Go. I was like, well, we, you're not going to travel, and you're going to drink two buck chuck. Yeah, we uh, when, when we go to Paris, we we fly first class because you can't sit in coach because you can't sleep in those seats. <laughs> and then we get picked up at the airport by yeah. a yeah. chauffeur. <laughs> Yeah, we like the finer things. Well, I want to keep those finer things. It's like, all right, well, now you got to realize what you need to deal with. And but if 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 I'm committed to that lifestyle, well, you'll you'll figure it out. Right. Most people, um, if you have the means. Yeah. And the there's a lot of you that have the means that are making several hundred thousand, but you're addicted to that income. That's what's scary. Is right. that you'll see income increases, right? So you start out hundred thousand, then it goes to one one oh five, one ten, one twenty, one and guess what? As that income increases, guess what happens to your spending? Yeah, it definitely goes up. It definitely Does, goes up. Does that up. happen to you? Uh, of course not. <laughs> I wish I was making more money, Al. That's well, I'll be honest, it's happened to me. It, or more appropriately, it's happened to us as a couple. <laughs> I'll say it that way. Yes. 
But um, we did. Uh, we just got back from going to Paris and Greece, and we got to Paris and and. Uh, you have a chauffeur. We get to the airport, and there's a guy holding up a sign, Anne and Allen. I go, oh boy, this sounds expensive. <laughs> so we get oh. we get in this Mercedes van, and really, then, yeah, and then we drive into town, and. Uh, our travel agent set it up. I, I wasn't paying that close of attention, apparently, because I, I don't care that much about that kind of thing. Anyway, you know what it cost? $193 to go from the airport to our hotel. 200 bucks? Yeah. For what? 200 bucks for a nice Mercedes. And How a many guy, miles? A guy with a sign. Was what? it like 400 miles? No. I mean, it took a half an hour. Well, Jeez. actually, it was rush hour. It took an hour. I mean, it should take a half an hour. But then I found out later from, you know, going place to place in taxis, they said, oh, yeah, we have a set fee. You can only charge $50 to take, you know, people to the airport. So I said, okay, that's what we're doing to get back to the airport. We're riding in a taxi. You know, there was, this this is bad. I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but I am. It was my birthday a few years ago. My cousin, Roy, um, that's his fake name. <laughs> what is it really, Ray? Uh, no, it's Roy. I screwed up already. Anyway, <laughs> I guess. Comes, Ho- hope you're you're not listening, Roy. Comes comes to San Diego. He yeah. lives in Wisconsin. Yeah, and um, so comes to San Diego for my birthday, right? <clears throat> and he kind of lives in, let's say, not Metropolis. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, rural. Yes. Yeah. And rural Minnesota. R- r- no, but yeah, he lives in Wisconsin though. Right? Oh, Wisconsin on the border. Sorry. Yeah. Right. And so he, he was he um and in the bike he sells bikes right doesn't make a lot of money bicycles bicycles or, or motorcycles no bicycles bicycles yes, okay right and fixes them and things like that got it okay and so health insurance is probably not top on his priority list got it. sure okay so we. Um, go play golf. And then we all, there was, I don't know, there's a bunch of us. We get done playing golf, then we go have a couple of beers. Yeah. Right? We're downtown San Diego. Yeah. And then we're all leaving. Um, I'm paying the tab. It's my birthday. I don't know why I'm paying the tab, but I'm paying the tab. You usually pay the tab. I know. Come to think of it. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> and <clears throat> I guess what happened, my cousin Roy is on the ground. Little bit of like, Little dizzy or little blood on the back of his head. Oh boy! Okay. I, I guess he was going to leapfrog a friend. Okay, he didn't or get on it. a like piggyback. Got it. And the friend moved, and he fell, and he hit his head on the concrete. <laughs> on the concrete. Okay. Right. Not good. This is actually the day before my birthday. Okay. And so I get outside, and all of a sudden, everyone's kind of looking at him, and then he's kind of oh, like blacked out a little bit. Yeah. Right. Right. You would. And then so my buddy Mikey Martin, who's a yeah. rescue swimmer for the United States Navy, sure. goes, Joe, well, I think we got to call an ambulance. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, ugh, that sounds expensive. <laughs> I was like, I think you'll I'll, be all right. I'll take it myself. Uh, yes. <laughs> Just, let's get him back into the bar. Let's put <laughs> a little, maybe a tequila in front of him. He'll be fine. He'll be all right. No, of course, ambulance comes, right? Fire trucks come. Yeah. And he was all right. He was fine. He just like knocked his head a little bit, right? right? right. So we're in the we're in the ambulance. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? Then I was thinking, well, can I put him on my insurance? Can I should I call my brother? Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was awful. <laughs> so I spent the night in the hospital as he was getting examined. Oh boy. For, on my birthday. That, okay. Yeah, so. Without health insurance. Yes, that was great. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was good times. Good times. Good so, times. yeah, I, that, when you said, ooh, that sounds expensive, that's exactly what I said. I yeah. was like, ooh. Because yeah. <laughs> I know I'm going to have to pay for it. Yeah, that's right. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's, that's that's not cheap. Ambulance, 500 bucks. Yeah. Fire truck came, 1000 <laughs> Blocking off traffic. Hospital night. 800 bucks. 10000 <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh God! Not he just, yeah. He had a bump and his, his like his fingers were a little tingly, so that's what yeah scared the the doctor. Got it. So, so we had, had to stay had there to stay, for like stay yeah. all night. Yeah. yeah, and I had to stay there, keep him awake. Hey, don't fall asleep. Yeah, you might have a concussion. Right. Yeah. You, right. Yeah. So wow. Anyway, so sorry. so don't spend your money on on uh, chauffeurs or ambulances. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or don't hang out with cousin Roy. <laughs> All right, that's it for us, folks. For Big Al Clopin, I'm Joe Anderson. show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you next week. So to recap today's show... 
We're at the end of Q2, so now's a good time to make sure your financial house is in order. QCDs, QLACs, rollovers to your company plan, and Roth conversions can all reduce taxes on your RMDs. And if you want to retire early and you've got nothing saved, plan to save as much as possible between now and then. And plan to make some serious lifestyle changes, too. For a start, whenever possible, avoid those chauffeurs and ambulances. Special thanks to our guest, Larry Swedro, for telling us what fewer stocks in the stock market really means. Search for Larry at ETF.com to learn more. And don't forget to click special offer at YourMoneyYourWealth.com to get your free copy of Larry Swedro's book, Playing the Winner's Game. Think, act, and invest like Warren Buffett. Subscribe to the podcast at YourMoneyYourWealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.